welcome to Health's Kitchen, the podcast that talks all things health, safety, and performance when it comes to restaurants and the food service industry. I'm Aaron, kinesiologist, former dishwasher, server, bartender, and I will be guiding us through this journey as I connect with industry professionals, health experts, and anyone who has a good story in the food service industry. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Health Kitchen Podcast, and I hope you are all doing well, Um, you know, as we get into spring season, as COVID-19 still has a lot of us staying indoors or changing how our businesses run, and I wanted to take a second to talk about something that I think I've been really thinking a lot about lately, and it's the idea of toolkits. So... When it comes to managing your own wellness, when it comes to managing your processes, when it comes to just how we go about doing almost anything in our lives, I like to sometimes build toolkits for myself or processes to have success with them. And uh, I've been messing around with some new ones today, or actually since we've all been stuck indoors, so with COVID-19. So I've really been looking at how I exercise how I think about exercise, how I think about grocery shopping, how I think about uh, the processes that I do to get work done. And it's been really interesting so far, just noticing how I like to work, how I like to create processes for myself, and then making those possible across the board. Um Because as soon as you build that familiarity, as soon as you build that process, then your brain is that much better at dealing with what's happening around you. You become more efficient and you can just do a lot more with that. So I just kind of want to leave that with you that right now, if you feel like you're not able to manage what's happening or maybe you can't get your goals together in an effective manner a firstly that's okay we're dealing with a global pandemic and any way that you react to this is totally normal but at the same time if you want to create a change for yourself then start thinking about a toolkit or start thinking about what you would want to do to create that change so one thing that i did that's been really popular for myself is the uh, 135 task rule and i don't do this every single day But uh, what I do is you have one big task for the start of the day, three medium-sized tasks, and then five little tasks. And I find for myself, when I have a day where I'm not sure what I want to get out of it, what I want to get done with it, it just helps me put things in perspective and allows me to kind of build a process for myself to organize my day and see what's happening around it. So try that for yourself. Try messing around with that. Um, other things that also work really well is just, you know, meal planning. I know sometimes we, now that we're stuck at home, we think that we don't need to really think about that anymore, but that is just as effective as well to create processes and to create uh, success for ourselves. So there's all sorts of really cool things and uh, maybe uh, send me a comment or send me a message of what you're using for your toolkit and processes, because I would love to maybe talk about them on the show or at least maybe see if they could work for me too. So, uh, so take time to do that. But when it comes to today's episode, 
I get to talk with a chef um, who has gone through quite the journey of change. Um, when it comes to his mental health, his physical health, he really saw himself hitting a bit of a wall and then look to change that and get the help that he needed. So, you know, without further ado, let's get to meeting today's guest. Today's guest goes by the name of Aaron Carley. Yes, another Aaron, just like me. And spelt a little differently, but nonetheless. And he talks about his battle with his mental health, his physical health, and how about a year ago, he decided he wanted to make a change for the better and to find the help he needed to be able to make that change. And this interview is absolutely incredible for the chance to hear someone talk so candidly about these things because especially in the restaurant world we don't talk about it we just struggle through it and we don't have these kind of conversations so this conversation is so amazing there's so many tidbits of knowledge and storytelling that is really exciting to hear so uh without further ado we're gonna go listen in but i do want to put a little warning on it that there are some candid discussions about mental health and if you're not in a headspace right now to be able to listen to that maybe this episode isn't for you um but i just want to put that on before we get into it but without further ado let's go listen in So yeah, so I guess we'll get into it. Sounds good. Awesome. So I am sitting here with Aaron, and uh, we connected through Facebook Messenger, but I always give my guests the floor to describe themselves, and uh, then we get started from there. So I'll give the floor to you, Aaron, and we'll go from there. Uh, Yeah, my name's uh, Aaron Carling, Um, chef by trade, if you will, Uh, passionate cyclist, and uh, definitely a knife enthusiast or knife freak, as uh, we like to call ourselves. Um, uh, married, lovely wife, supports me in all the ways. Uh, three amazing, fantastic children. Um, and I've been in this industry my entire professional career, aside from a quick stint in framing. I've done nothing but professional cooking. Nice, nice. Um, so how did you get started in the industry? It's the classic, you need a job. Your buddy says, I know a restaurant who needs a dishwasher. I say, okay, cool. I don't know what that means, but it's pay. So sure. So you go. And I started washing dishes and it was at a, uh, a club slash restaurant, quite a, a very busy one at the time in my uh, hometown of Oshawa. And from there, it's just sort of, you know, I washed dishes for a year and a half and I really liked it. And then the opportunity came up uh, one, one really, really, really busy summer day. The hood system wasn't working too well. And the grill cook, it was just like he, he literally had to leave. It was just too much. And the boss wanted to kind of push through it and like get through dinner service to, you know, make the money. Um, and they're like, hey, man, do you want to jump on here? Like, all you got to do is make sure you're flipping the steaks flipping the ribs, saucing them, making sure things look good. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm okay, sure. So I jump on and 
that's history. And then from there on, I just kept, uh, you know, challenging myself and pushing myself through various uh, roles. Nice, nice. I uh, I started as a dishwasher as well uh, back in the day um, in high school, and then I kind of went to service side. Uh, so, like, a busing position opened up, and then I just kind of ran in that direction. Um, so sort of a, a little bit different, but I think a lot of us kind of get that start, right, where we <laughs> need a job, whatever it could be, and we hop into it from there. I've, I've met a few chefs who have kind of come into it because they were just so interested in food, but I've also seen that really common story where it's like, you know, you start as a dishwasher and just see what happens from there. Um, and that's sort of uh, yeah. my favorite way of seeing it. Uh, sometimes I like to, like, I, I think about that, and I think, does that mean that it was forced upon me? And does that mean that my destiny, and maybe this is, a little too like ethereal to really be thinking about, but does that mean that my destiny was preset from the day I started dishes? And I think about these things and in the past, uh, up until quite recently, that would weigh on me quite heavily. Why did I take that dishwashing job? And why did that set the path that this was the only thing I could do in my life was work in restaurants. And it's, it's a big question to think about. And, the more I soul seek recently about that, the more it helped answer that. Although I did basically get pushed into that and, and stuck in that, that I found a passion and a love, which has become such an integral part of my life in a ton of positive ways. There are some negative, but almost all positive. Interesting. I like that. A, I like that a lot. Uh, and I think a lot of people probably think about that at some point just because of the nature of working in restaurants and how grueling it can be and everything. And I even felt that too when I was in it was, you know, um, serving tables and everything that I, w- I would wonder sometimes, like, did I just because I got this job, did it kind of put me on this path to doing this really specific um sort of thing. And I think even my job now kind of is derived out of that as well, because it is, you know, as a wellness consultant, I do a lot of service-based work. Um, you know, so I still kind of do the same thing. So yeah, I've kind of wondered that myself, honestly, um, a few times throughout, like, you know, do, do we have any of our own, uh, choices, right? Uh, <laughs> and yeah, like, I, I think that's a, a big question to ask ourselves at times and to not be afraid to ask yourself that. And if, you know, you're not too old or you're not too far along, if you can ask yourself that question and you know the answer isn't necessarily a positive one, then find change. Like we're, we're lucky enough to live in a country that, you know, you can find other opportunities and do other things. Don't just submit yourself to staying in the industry simply because it's what you know. Like if it doesn't feel right and passionate, like long term, then, you know, you know, keep keep the job as a cook or whatever, but then find something else. Look look into another field and it's it's never too late. Yeah, yeah. That's you know, that is sort of something that yeah, it's tough, right? It's tough if you're so in it to know that you could possibly get out or change or have that perspective. Um <laughs> and uh you know, normally I usually ask about like, you know, your education, your training and all that sort of stuff. But I think with you, I'm more excited to hear uh, your story of change within the industry and how uh, you've made some health changes over time, uh, you know, for the better and really changed your life around. So maybe we'll just get into that and then uh, see where we grow from there. Sound good? Okay, I will. I, I got to touch it on. I am a George Brown graduate and I'm very proud of that. So I have to mention that because um, 
Uh, I had an incredible experience at George Brown College. Um, um, I met some incredible teachers. Uh, most notably was the head of the chef school, John Higgins. Um, John, for, for many reasons, has had very small impacts on my life as far as the amount of time I've had with him. But John Higgins has had such huge impacts on my life for the kind of person that he is and the kind of person he pushes you to be. Um, so I definitely think my experience at George Brown uh, was definitely one of the best in my life. And I'm happy that I did it. And as I said, I'm very George Brown proud. <laughs> I've heard really so. good things about the George Brown program, honestly, um, from yeah. various chefs who have been on this show. Um, you know, I've heard just uh, really great things. And I used to walk by it every single day, the George Brown campus going to work. So I'd always see all the banners with the chefs and everything. And it was, uh, someday I'd love to see sort of the inner workings of what happens in there. So maybe I'll get Absolutely. there someday. Um, but yeah, so for, you know, your trajectory through your career, can we talk about, uh, you know, sort of how you were working in a restaurant and maybe your health wasn't so great and then how you made changes around that? Yeah. Um, so for that, we got to go back a little bit and we'll touch on sort of a little bit of my cooking history. Um, for the first, uh, let's say 10 years of my cooking, it was done in the casual dining segment. Um, so, uh, sort of not quick service restaurants necessarily, but sit down, uh, casual dining. Um, and generally in a chain setting is how I work. So with lots of systems and lots of, um, uh, regulations and things like that, that help keep the flow of, uh, a traffic and, food cost and labor cost and all that in line. I did that for quite a bit of time, uh, about 10 years, as I said. And then after that, I moved into uh, the fine dining segment, um, which was a whole new set of challenges. You um, To learn that uh, lemon juice is you know, just as important as salt, uh, whereas in a corporate setting, it's you just follow the recipe and that's that. Um, but to learn all those things was a whole new, whole new catalog of information that I had to put in my head. So moving into fine dining had its had its own challenges, not just learning the the ways to season, but the people were very different. In casual dining, it's sort of people just in a job, um, cooking from the recipe. They don't have to think too much about it. So when you're done work at a restaurant like that, you don't have to think about work. It's you cook, you do a good job, and you go home. And one of the things I learned quickly in fine dining is you absorb it a lot more. You're either thinking about it before work or after work. It sort of, it engages you, you know, 24 seven, um, which at the time I was, I was extremely excited about. And, um, I'm a passionate individual. Um, and then as I started sort of moving, moving up in the fine dining world and taking on bigger roles, the stresses and pressures change. But again, in, in the more fine dining environment, it, it continues to keep on you. Like there's no, there's no letting off the gas pedal. And if you do let off the gas pedal, well, then you're kind of frowned upon like, oh, this, this guy's not pushing, this guy's not trying hard enough or something of that nature. Um, and, you know, if you work in a downtown uh, uh, city center, like I worked in Toronto, you know, you take your foot off the gas for a, 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 even a half a shift, you know, you could affect 100 guests. And that in turn could come in so many negative ways towards you. So you've always got to keep your foot on the gas. I didn't realize the mental stresses as they crept in. It was more of a, a wave that hit me at one point 
And it was a bit of a culmination of many things. Um, I'd gained far too much weight. I, I was at the absolute heaviest I'd been at. I wasn't eating healthy. I was working too much. I was stressed too much. And I wasn't able to disconnect. And a lot of it was my choice. And I sort of hit just like a meltdown. And about a year ago, I decided, all right, I'm going to make one change. And that was, I'm going to try and do some exercise. You know, went to the gym and it just wasn't my thing. I don't enjoy going to gyms, never will. And then I had an opportunity to get a bike. So I got a bike and I started cycling. And that was a huge change in itself. So it was very difficult to even cycle a few kilometers, but I kept pushing through, pushing through it. And I started making changes in my diet. And the dietary changes had more impact and more impact and more impact. So things were good. I started losing weight. I was cycling. I was exercising. I was feeling good. But all that other stuff I hadn't dealt with, all the, uh, the mental stresses, um, uh, not letting go of work, uh, not focusing on family, all that stuff was still there. So as much as I was taking care of myself physically, mentally, I was doing nothing to help myself. At the time, I also started seeing my kids a little bit less because I was so focused on work. So that started to add up as well, which isn't positive. Sorry, I'm just pausing for a sec to kind of make sure I get it all. Ooh. Hmm. After I was focused on the physical, I did start to try to focus on how to bring a little more balance in my life and a little more, um, but it proved to be difficult for, I don't know, various reasons. Um, and again, most of them my own doing. And I think it's ingrained in us uh, as chefs or culinary professionals or hospitality professionals that, you know, you're, you're focused on work. You're always focused on work. You're focused on your career. Um, so it was difficult to let go of those things. And uh, at one point, uh, somewhat more recently, I started to have... Um, let's say negative thoughts. Uh, I started to struggle with sleeping. Um, there would be some nights where I would sleep two hours. Uh, there could be periods where I would go three or four nights with only sleeping three hours. And not that I didn't have time to sleep, but I would lay in bed till three thirty, four 4 a.m. just stressed and biting my nails and just thinking so many bad things. And I couldn't get over this hump. I just couldn't stop this negative mental energy. And for the most part, I'm a pretty positive person. And then I finally made the decision to uh, go to some therapy. Uh, and that was, that was a turning point in everything. And probably the turning point in my entire life, if I'm going to be honest right now. It was also the hardest thing I probably had to do as an adult. Because you never want to say, I need therapy. And ingrained in you as, again, hospitality professionals, you're tough. You're tough as nails. You can push through it. You're, that's just who we are. And that is a bit of the old school mentality, but it still is mentality now. And I understand as a culture, we're changing and we're changing for the positive and we're recognizing uh, when we have like mental health issues. But still in that industry, it's really tough. But I was able to recognize that and seek help. It was a huge change. Just a couple conversations helped me realize what I, what I needed to change further in my life to put myself in a better headspace 
and it was incredible. Since then, I've made some changes in my life. I've I've shifted positions, and I've continued to focus on uh, health, seeing my family, uh, being outside, um, reading books that don't have to do with cooking, uh, listening to music, but enjoying life beyond food because sometimes we do forget it, but it is just food. It can be fancy food with tweezers. It can be fancy food with soft spots. It can be burgers and fries. But at the end of the day, it is just food. And you can't like forego all the pleasures in your life, forego all the weddings, all the birthdays, all the anniversaries, all the time with families and neighbors and these people who know you exist but don't really see you because you work all the time. But when you actually take time with these people, it's such an incredible feeling. And I'm so happy I've made that change. Thank you for telling that story. Um, <laughs> and that, uh, yeah, thank you. It's, it's it, one thing that really hops out to me is that you mentioned how like missing the anniversaries, the birthdays, whatever they could be. And I think one of the tough parts of the industry is that when most people are relaxing, that's when the industry is most busy. Um, you know, so you, a lot of those social, um, encounters kind of get left by the wayside because you just don't, you have to go to work at those times and <laughs> there isn't always a lot of, uh, balance in that sense. Right. And it's really hard if you have people who aren't part of the industry to understand that. Right. And to, um, you know, be open to what the schedule could be. And also you working with your schedule that way. Um, yeah. you know, that's something that's, uh, that is really tough, um, about it and that sort of popped out to me there but with your uh um time in therapy and where you are now have you sort of built a toolkit for yourself um that you use i don't know if this is something but like sometimes i've ha i've heard of people building those sorts of uh processes for themselves yeah i can uh or sorry yeah i can definitely speak to that um so there is a few things um first and foremost um i've definitely learned that exercise is the number one thing that gets my mind off of stuff. Um, and again, exercise, I mean cycling. Um, the summer gets me in a little bit of better headspace. I do have a trainer set up in the basement during the winter. But when I realize that I'm kind of hitting a bit of a max stress or I'm stressed out too much or I can't get my mind off of stuff, I'll go cycle. And I also realize that I need to do that at least a couple times a week to keep that mindset positive. Um, I have a couple other sort of, uh, I guess, yeah, tools that uh, I was taught. Um, as far as sleeping, I, I find I've always had some difficulty sleeping um, and not falling asleep till early into the morning. Um, breathing exercise are huge. Um, I know we've always heard those and you, you know, you, you hear a doctor or you hear a pal say, try these breathing exercises. They actually really do work and I do use them. The somewhat the classic counting sheep thing, uh, there, there is uh, a way to help yourself um, get out of a stressful or high anxiety situation, which is where you go through a counting exercise and recognize the things in your surrounding area. And I do that. Um, it's considered to be best to do that aloud. I try and just do it in my head and I find that it can really take me to the situation, calm me down uh, and put me in a better headspace. Um, and other than that, music is huge. Listen to positive, good music 
and you know, everyone has a different definition of what good music is, of course. But listen to good music with uh, good energy. Uh, but honestly, the the biggest toolkit is, or the biggest tool is, is recognizing that the workday is done. And you know, most chefs are like, oh, I'm going to be done at this time, and six hours later, you're done. <laughs> recognizing that today I'm done at this time, strive to be done around that time, and make sure you know that you're going to go enjoy the day with your family. And it doesn't have to be planned out because that's what we do in this industry is plan out, plan out, plan out, plan out. But if you just go home and make dinner and relax and hang out with your family and sit on the patio and whatever you want to do, but make sure that's part of your day, not just once a week, but more than once a week. And that to me, I found is the best. Yeah. I love the beauty of that, right? Like building that. Um, and I, I've always, when I talk to people, it was trying to like have that toolkit for yourself of things yeah. that you can pull out when you need them. Right. Um, yeah. depending on what the situation that you're facing that day, that week, whatever it could be, right? Um, you know, I've been, uh, when I used to work in the industry, I always tried to make it um, a big deal to set up my morning before I started, like, my lunch shift um, to try to be a little bit more relaxed because I knew I'd be going into a really crazy, you know, like, let's say, like, Saturday brunch-style service or something, that I would make sure that I would, like, go get myself a nice muffin from the nice cafe and have, like, a nice latte, and at the time it was read the newspaper or whatever it could be, um, and just tried to build my day to have this moment of quiet before I would go and be, you know, running around doing everything that you could, and um, that helped me a lot. I used to be a competitive athlete and figure skater, where it's probably the most head game sport that you could ever uh, get into, um, so I have a lot of uh, that training of, like, what do you need to get yourself in the headspace to perform, but... Um, and I didn't always see that with my colleagues, right? So I'm really happy to hear um, that you have these uh, tools in your toolkit and that you build your day um, around that, right? So uh, One thing a lot of people who know me, uh, even for a small period of time, know is every morning, whether I'm at home or I go to work, I have my coffee. Now, my coffee, I'm, I'm incredibly particular about this coffee. It's a maple-flavored coffee. It's a naturally maple flavored, so don't worry about all those artificial flavors. And I know that in itself sounds trashy. I get that, especially for the coffee snobs. But the, the smell of that coffee and the smell of it percolating is an immediate way to relax me in the morning. I get to work with my mug, my big thermos of coffee. And almost always, I put on my Radiohead playlist. Nice. And any listener can argue to this. But Radiohead rules. <laughs> no, no, I, I think that's fine. I think everybody would agree with you. Good. <laughs> um, yeah, that's like, yeah, I love that, right? Like, uh, you know, and building the, the rituals around it. Um, you know, so that like, this is something you do that like, as soon as you do it, your, your brain, your body reacts to it because it's familiar to it. Right. Um, yeah. and you just create that consistency. And I think, you know, for the restaurant industry particularly, because everything is so um, unexpected and chaotic in a lot of ways, because you never know what could happen, right? You have a 20-top a walk-in, you have, you know, this problem, you're going to be dealing with this change, whatever it could be, um, to create that consistency for yourself outside of that um, can be a really powerful tool for your brain to have that consistency. And if you're not creating that for yourself, um, you know, that's probably a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Um, to say the least. I'm not a big 
if you will, clipboard chef. Like I don't like to walk around with clipboards, but I do love to create systems. Um, and I think that those systems, uh, even if you've got a small bistro or you've got a large operation, even a couple of systems can help not just yourself, but all of the people around you, whether they're the cooks, the service team, the front house managers, the sous chefs, it can help give all those people a sense of calm because they understand that they, on a nice little sheet, they know exactly what they have to prepare, what to expect, what the orderings are looking like, all that kind of stuff, rather than sort of the, I don't want to say cowboy, but where, you know, you just got the chip paper, you just write your 10 things and then you walk in a service and you're like, oh, dang, I missed those two things and now I'm going to scramble to make those things. Whereas something like a checklist is going to ensure that you know and you're going to have the peace of mind. Even if you're going to be short on a couple of things, you know what those couple of things are and you're at least mentally prepared to deal with those if you have a big service and then that starts, you start selling too much of that. You're aware of that right off the hop. Um, so again, I, I think systems in place in restaurants and I guess really any industry, but in restaurants help give a sense of calm and collect because the people know exactly the expectations and you know exactly where everything's at. Yeah. I really like that. I like that a lot. And uh, I've been in all sorts of different kitchens where I've seen, you know, very organized to less than so organized and, uh, (laughs) you know, or that, you know, and I I like from a front of house perspective, it's the same thing, right? Um, Where the sort of expectations of what needs to be done, how things get marked off. um, And, you know, the stronger teams I work with had that all under control. Um, particularly for front of house, right? So um, they would have, you know, like, let's say we would do a private booking or a special booking. There was an entire form that was always created that would be handed off to the server who would be setting up the tables or whatever with all the details of, like, this group's coming in, they're going to need this. But they had it done as a form. So even when they were asking questions to the guests on the phone before they showed up, we had all the information we needed. And that made it so much easier when it came to communicating with the kitchen for timing things properly. And it really took the guesswork out. And I think that's, you know, I see that a lot with very successful restaurants. You know, all these sort of things are already taken care of because there's so much going on. There's no way you could really grow and be successful in that way unless you built that. Yeah, I worked for a restaurant group in Toronto. Um, uh, I'd say quite a large and quite a well-known restaurant group in Toronto. Um, and they, I think they're definitely one of the most organized, uh, companies I've ever seen, uh, from the top down. Um, and yet they're still able to offer unique experiences at all of their locations, which I think if you can do something like that, you're, you're definitely, uh, plugged into something that not many people are. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's sort of, uh, uh, even like when I was a, a varsity coach and competitive athlete, um, the best athletes were the ones who, like, had systematized their training, right? And, uh, you know, so, like, it was cool, but, like, I kind of, and I could see over my five years of doing it that, like, the better athletes at the end of the day were the ones that, like, got a notebook and started writing down everything that you said to them after practice and started systematizing their practices and saying, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. When they come to you for lesson time or when you're working with them, they know exactly what they want to work on. They know what needs Mm -hmm. to be fixed and that sort of stuff. And I really, um, you know, and I used to be part of a national, like over in Kitchener-Waterloo, they're one of the top ice dance schools in the country where Virtue and Moyer originally came out of. Uh, Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Paul Mack, I used to train under him. He's one of the top coaches in Canada. But he's like 
all about the details. And you can really see it from how the whole um, skating school functions. You know, they have these plans in place, they create them, your whole season's planned out, like, it's just all those details. And I think that's sort of where excellence comes from, is, like, you know, someone who can analyze, plan, and go from there with that. That's sort of, you know, and I think I learned that at a young age, And but, you know, that's not always apparent, you know, when you look at various different industries, right? So, sort of the magic. But, that being said, what's your favorite part of your work day? There's got to be two. <clears throat> Now this is my current work day at my current workplace. Um, my favorite part is, so we work over wood fire. Awesome. Um, like no, it's not gas. It's literally wood logs on fire. And that's how we cook over. It's called braai. I don't pronounce it right. So my boss might be upset. Um, it's South African inspired or it's a South African restaurant. Um, and lighting that wood fire and as soon as the aroma fills the restaurant, it, it, you, it just, everybody, it just immediately captivates you for even, even if it's just a moment, you get in that first lung full of like the light smoke coming off the wood fire. I don't know. It, I think it brings you back to, you know, early civilization and it's ingrained in our DNA. Some of those aromas just immediately, I don't know, it, it talks to you in a way that I don't think just turning on your gas grill can do. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Um, and my next favorite part of service, and I'm sure many chefs would either fully agree or fully disagree, uh, is just before service that right before not, and not an hour before, cause there's still chaos generally, but right before. So five minutes before service, the kitchen swept and mopped and the counters are polished and the towels are folded and everyone's calm and cool. And as I like to say, hands behind your back, ready for that first ticket. Nice. That moment right there, that to me is total zen. Yeah, yeah, waiting for like that drop, right? That little yep. that little moment right before. Um, you know, that, uh, yeah, I love that too. Um, you know, especially like I, my favorite version of that was like when it was like New Year's Eve service or something because it had a different feel to it and like, you know, you'd be doing a lot of different food or something, a lot of different style of guests. Um, I always said that the New Year's Eve crowd was my favorite crowd because they were just, mm. they had a certain energy to them um, that you usually didn't see in the restaurant. And you could always have that like little moment of wait, right? Where we have everybody here ready to go, everything's decorated, and now we just have to wait, you know, that little bit. That's awesome. Uh, that was, yeah, that was definitely always one of my, uh, that was one of my favorites. Um but sort of a little bit of a change of gears, but I think the restaurant industry has been going through a bit of a metamorphosis. Obviously, COVID-19 not included in my statement at this moment in time. Um, but, like, has the restaurant industry changed in the last maybe 10 years? Has the, has the conversation changed around the work, the conditions, where they're going? Um, have you noticed that? Yes. So there's a couple of seg ways we can kind of talk about this, but right off the top is yes, there has been changes. Um, I appreciate that cooks now, they don't want that 16 hour workday. They want balance in themselves. They want a fair pay. They want, you know, they're going to ask you, is there any health benefits? And sometimes you're, 
you know, it, as a, you know, someone who's was brought up in a, in a different industry than it is now, sometimes you shake your head like, what do you mean? Like you got a job, which we got to recognize that's not how the conversation goes anymore. They want to know what you're offering them beyond just a job. People don't want the, I'm not the sure, sure the best way to say this. They don't want the chef language anymore. Yep. They, most of them frown at the, uh, um, the old school commentary, if you will, which I'm just trying to be very loose, but you know what I mean? <laughs> a lot of kids can be a bit lewd. Yep. And I, I think this generation has no interest in that and we shouldn't. That language and that commentary should be left to the door. It should never, never have been even brought in the door, but to change, we need to, that needs to be gone first and foremost. You can't have that. I think new age leadership also needs to talk to cooks. I don't think cooks need to be screamed at or shit on or servers don't need to be screamed at or shit on. Sorry if I swore. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> but I think conversations and talking through things is the way the world works right now, but it just makes more sense anyways. If you sit there and scream at a cook and call him a, an idiot in service, there's no way his food's going to improve through service or there's very few cooks that it would improve. But if you calmly walk over to him and explain what's been done wrong and ask that he does a better job, there's a good chance he's going to improve. And even if the, the issue persists and you, you know, talk to him off the line in the office or outside, not in front of his peers in a calm, collect fashion, I think you're going to get better results. And I, I'm 100% confident that that's what this generation wants in, in restaurants. They don't, they don't want to be shit on. I think that's the biggest, the biggest change that I've seen over the last 10 years. And I think it's all very much for the positive, which is good. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's sort of, I guess, you know, you're more of a leader in the industry, but I like that your your um, way of almost coaching people, right? And bringing up, you know, if they do need to make a change, bringing it up in a way that also gives them direction. I think yeah. sometimes, like, um, people think coaching is just, uh, you know, saying, like, this sucks, do it better, um, but not giving them what they could do with that, you know, and giving them the freedom. And I think, you know, that's at the end of the day, you're giving people this space to grow. And I think that's what people want, right? Uh, you know, they want to feel like, you know, their team is supporting them wherever they're going, right? Um, to become a better chef, to become a better bartender, whatever it could be, and giving your people the space to feel like they're growing within that space. I fully agree. Um, I think you're starting to see a very strong definition, even in the restaurant industry, of leaders and bosses. And bosses are no longer succeeding. Bosses are not what people want to work for. People want to work for leaders. And generally, leaders coach. They don't just tell you what to do. And I think those are really important traits that we foster in this industry and we teach and coach the next generation to be teachers and coaches in a positive way. Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, I think that's, um, yeah, I think that's, you know, one of the most important things. And I think that's something that I'm hearing more of these days and I'm really excited about it. Cause I think there's just so much that we can do 
um, you know, in any workplace, but particularly in the restaurants, because it's so high stress and because it's so highly skilled, um, I think we need to take that into account, right? Um, it's not like an office job where somebody's just spreading it, filling out a spreadsheet, you know? You have people who are highly skilled at what they do, and you need to nurture that. Um, yeah. You know, at the end of the day, I think that's uh, pretty obvious or straightforward, but, you know, uh, mm-hmm. I think we're starting to see that. And I think that's a very uh, positive outlook on uh, the industry uh, moving forward. Um, obviously, right now, COVID-19, we're all kind of stuck at home, waiting it out a little uh-huh. bit. Um, some restaurants have been able to turn into a more delivery service style um, compared to, uh, you know, kind of in-house. But I think this also is going to create a lot of conversations of where the restaurant industry is going to be in the future. Um, you know, I read a beautiful article in the New York Times by Gabriel Hamilton, the owner of Prune in New York, who really talked that. about this and said, you know, if we can't create space for this, then um, maybe we have to look at where we're going, right? And I think those beautiful conversations are coming out of this too. Yeah, I would fully agree. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, but I think this, you know, I think we've had a really good conversation here so far. Um, I yeah. think this has been really productive. Thank you so much for telling your story. Um, and I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, thank you so much, Aaron. I want to add that regardless of COVID-19 or, uh, and uh, I am a person who, and I recognize how this has affected countless lives and, and in so many negative ways. But if you can if you can see opportunity and adversity, which is one of my favorite phrases, then there's something to take from this positive. And there's something that we can do from this and grow. And it, it's not easy. And I recognize that. But if we can take a couple things away personally, I think it's, I hope people realize that maybe they've had some time at home. Maybe they've had time to be with their family. It's important that, as we rebuild this, we show love to not just our, our loved ones and our neighbors and our, our friends, but to our workers and our coworkers and our teammates. And it's going to be tricky, but make sure you build balance. Now is the time when we can rebuild this with some balance. You don't need to go back to work and do a 16 hour day to prove you're a kick-ass monster. Yeah. You can rebuild this with something different. You can treat your people a little better. You can understand and realize that maybe what you've been doing doesn't work. Maybe now is the time to look at how you can make changes. And I think a change that might come to fruition is how we're doing things in the dining industry. Like, is is fine dining going to be as strong as it was before? Are we going to have as many fine dining restaurants? Are we even going to have as many restaurants? Once we realize how unstable this industry is with such incredibly tight profit margins that we we skirt by on a hair squeezing here and squeezing there all all in you know the name of uh, a buck and or our passion and i think now is the time that we can maybe address some of that stuff yeah this is the first time where people maybe have had pause right and um i think for a lot of people in the industry this is maybe an opportunity for their bodies to also recover a little bit um, yeah. You know, like just allowing yourself to um, feel your body and say, OK, this is kind of what it feels like to be a little rested 
um, you know, and let yourself recover a little bit and then say, you know, if when we when we go back, whatever go back looks like, because I don't know, um, mm-hmm. what can we do to maintain some of those feelings to create that longevity and resiliency, right? And this feeling that you have with your body right now, what can we do with that? Um, for ourselves but then also you know making sure you're connecting still with all your coworkers and stuff because I know a lot of people in the industry you know um, work all the time and everybody they know is within the industry and now we're not going into the restaurant and connecting with those people all the time so take the time to you know check in on your coworkers and say hey what's up you know and <laughs> set up a zoom call or whatever you want to do you know to to connect because uh, that's important for the industry too. Yeah, I think uh, after this is over and we start moving forward, I, I again, I think there's such an opportunity to, to examine some of the faults to, uh, and to rebuild um, this industry and make it better and stronger and to, to be able to weather uh, things like this and to realize some of the faults perhaps and to be able to address those and fix them and make it where it's a, it's, it is more stable. Um, However, each individual restaurant needs to address that. I, I think they're they're going to be able to see that, which is great. Yeah, yeah, this is fantastic. Thank you so much uh, for this first portion. I think this has been fantastic. But I think we're going to take a little break, um, yep. and we're going to come back with some crazy restaurant stories. Hey, listeners, I don't have too much to say this week other than go to wherever you're listening to this and rate review and subscribe to this podcast so if you're on itunes give me a rating give me a review if you're on spotify go subscribe hit that little follow button so you can go get new episodes every single time they come out because i just love this podcast and i want more people to hear it Right? We have a ton of people who work in the food service industry, and we have a ton of people who are affected by the food service industry every single day. So I just want more people to hear the show. And if you want to come on the show, send me an email, Aaron at balancedlifeservices.ca, um, where you can send me an email. Maybe we'll talk. Maybe you'll come on the show. Or if you hate the show, send me an email. I'd love to hear about that too. I just want to hear people talking about it. So go do that. Um, maybe share about it. So if you have a friend who you think would love this podcast go let them know about it uh it just helps people find the podcast it helps people uh discover it and helps it to be a bigger success than it already is so please go do that but without further ado let's get into some crazy restaurant stories are back uh from wonderful ad segment of whatever i said on there but we're gonna get into some crazy restaurant stories and hearing all your chef stories hearing about the coachability of chefs and all those sorts of things from our first segment also reminded me of sometimes how much chefs can be told pranksters and why that is a good thing but also uh and can be quite funny um so I have my first restaurant job ever, um, fine dining place in a town of Orangeville, uh, Ontario, and uh, I didn't know what I was getting into. I got a job as a dishwasher, and uh, the chefs there were total pranksters, and the 
sous chef at the time came to the dish pit, like my second shift there, and he's just like, hey, dude, um, you know, do you want to try this? And it's like this green sauce. And I'm like a teenager from Orangeville, so like I don't know anything about food. And uh, he's like, try this. It's cucumber sauce. And I was like, okay. So like he literally gave me like a heaping tablespoonful. Um, and I tried it and wasabi is a little bit of a slow burn. So it doesn't like hit you like, like that. Right. It's like you have a slight delay. Um, so I had it and then he comes back like, you know, like a minute later or something and then explains that what he gave me was wasabi, uh, which is super hot. So my mouth was on fire for the whole night. And I think I was like, I had a glass of milk and I was eating bread and doing everything I could to try to like even that out. Um, and that's sort of, you know, I like that, you know, when you look back, like sort of the prankster level of, uh, of chefs and how they can, you know, they can, you know, be scary and tough, but they're also there to, uh, have some fun with you. Um, okay. So <laughs> it only makes sense that I'll tell you a story that's very similar. Um, my first job at that, uh, that place in Oshawa uh dishwashing been there maybe a week and the assistant kitchen manager walks up and he says hey man do you want to try this new hot sauce we got i said yeah of course i would he said it's not too hot so don't worry you can really get it on there it's like okay so they cook up a couple wings and they give me some wings the name of the sauce i distinctly remember it because one could not forget the feeling that the sauce does for one. It was called Endorphin Rush. <laughs> I found that out afterwards. Um, now I know, you know, today's day and age, you got those crazy Carolina Reapers, things like that. So that's fine. But as a, uh, a young lad, I had not been exposed to hot sauce really in any capacity. Anyway, so I grab one of these wings and I take a honking bite. And immediately, I go into hiccups, like immediately. Yep. But I knew I had to like try and finish that wing because all the cooks are standing at me with a slight smirk. <laughs> Not quite first into laughter yet. So I finish that bite, try to take another bite. I can't stop hiccuping. And then they all sort of burst into laughter. I must have been the color of a cherry. <laughs> Guzzled a liter of milk and then had to sit for a minute. I'd never felt that kind of pain from a sauce in my entire life. Uh, that was very kind of them to do that. Yes, yes, oh my God, that's, yeah, yeah. Hot sauce and chefs, best prank material. <laughs> oh, so good. One of my other jobs, uh, I've been in the industry for a few years. And I was actually uh, had the opportunity to help open a, a restaurant. It was one of the chain restaurants, help open a restaurant. Anyways, uh, restaurant openings going well, things are on pace. Uh, so we had a bit of more of a relaxed atmosphere on the one afternoon. And like people have heard these jokes, but to be part of one is terrible. Um, they, uh, they said the walk-in fridge was a bit too cold. <laughs> So the, the logical solution was we're going to go in the walk-in, take garbage bags, fill the garbage bags up with the cold air, and take it out of the walk-in. Now, as someone who's new to the industry, 
and they're like they're telling you this with a straight face like this is how we got to remove the cold air you're like of course like we so there's three of us in the walk-in waving garbage bags around trying to fill it with cold air and it wasn't for about you know three or four bags of this beautiful cold air later that they finally let us in on this joke of theirs so it was quite nice of them <laughs> oh my god i love that uh yeah, because you just say yes, chef, and you go do it. Yep. <laughs> like you don't question. That's right? what we did. That's yep. amazing. Um, oh, it was terrible! Gosh. Uh, that's so good. Okay, that's yeah. We I, worked in a, a movie theater plaza, so what we would do is we would tell other young, like you know, you'd have a young cook start on, and you'd be like, "All right, I, uh, you got to run over to the restaurant beside us, and I need two cans of steam." And you got to be quick with them because the steam's going to be hot. The cook runs over. And they're like, no, just use our last can of steam. But if you can go to the other restaurant and check if they have the banana peeler available yet, because we really need that. So then that cook does that. Anyways, we did that one day and the cook comes back and he says, I quit. I said, what do you mean? He said, I was sent to three restaurants to find three things that I figured out at the end don't exist. Oh, okay. Then I'm done. And the guy quit. Did you try to make them more over the top with each one? Like, so, like, steam to a banana peeler to, like, something else that, like, is so obvious, but at the same time sounds likely? Uh, we had, like, a re- like a, 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 a Rolodex of maybe five or six uh, items that you may request in the kitchen. Um, the cans of steam were generally the favorite, and, the yeah, the second favorite was generally the banana peeler. Oh, my God. I love it. Yep. I love that so much. Yeah. Uh, so good. Um, well, I think that this has been a fantastic episode. Thank you so much, Aaron, for coming on. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. And uh, I think there's a lot of uh, learning here for a lot of chefs who are looking to grow their careers or looking to see what's happening or looking to change maybe their career direction. So I can't thank you enough for uh, messaging me on Facebook and then deciding to come on the show. Thank you very much for having me on. And uh, uh, it was, you know, I had a great time as well. And I just, I positive energy and uh, feeling good about yourself and all those kinds of things. Those, those are so important and take care of yourself first um, because the best person to take care of you is you. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And uh, till next time. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Hell's Kitchen podcast. Now, if you want to contact me, my email is Aaron at balancelifeservices.ca. My Twitter is B underscore life underscore services. My Instagram is balanced underscore life underscore services. And don't forget to go join that Facebook group, Hell's Kitchen, where you can connect with all sorts of working food service professionals to find out what works for them what isn't working for them and find some people who maybe know how to help you have a better work day and remember if you want to be a guest on this podcast send me an email i'd love to chat with you see ya